So Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning to awaken our hearts, expand our minds, and shape our identity in you. In Jesus' we pray, name we pray. Amen. The two perhaps greatest fantasy writers of the last century, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, both wrote about a, a future world beyond this one after we die where evil is no more. Tolkien would write in The Lord of the Rings these words, the grey rain curtain of this world is pulled back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it, white shores, and beyond them a far green country under a swift sunrise. In the last battle from the Chronicle of Narnia series, Lewis wrote this, didn't he? Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And it's this vision of the future if you like, not touched by evil that, that, that John sees. This great vision of the Christian hope. And so as we, we pull back the curtain for, for one final time this morning, you know, which is what the name of the book that we've been exploring, the book of Revelation means, as we pull back the curtain for one final time, let's have a look at this, this, this if you like, this glorious vision of the future that that John sees as we look through this passage. Today is Act 6, the last part in this series that we've been looking at on the, from the book of Revelation, this book that, that for many of us we find difficult to interpret and understand. And just like, if you like, Tolkien, just like Lewis, what they did, wasn't it? They just relied so much upon this book for what they wrote about in those books. So we find that with John, so much of his vision in terms of how he describes it is taken from the first part of this book, the Old Testament that he knew so well. And so Revelation chapter 21 gives us the, the best picture that we find, the best picture that we find in the whole of the Bible for what the climax of hope is all about. And then John saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And he saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This great vision, if you like, of the future of the new heaven and the new earth, he describes a, a new city. And he describes this, this, this city as the place of God. But he also describes the, as the people of God encountering the presence of God. So as we look at those three ideas, the, the new Jerusalem as the place of God, as the people of God, and as the, the presence of God, let's just notice a few things first. We might need to be reminded of this. We might need to note this for the first time. Let's remember this, first of all, 
It's a new heaven and a new earth. Recalling the great vision that Isaiah saw at the end of the book bearing his name of the future, of the new heaven and the new earth. So let's remember that. Secondly, let's remind ourselves or note the trajectory. When so many people talk about going up to heaven, note what happens and where the city comes from, coming down out of heaven. And thirdly, note what new means. You see, there are two Greek words for, for new. There's, there's, there's neos that kind of means like, like we might call a new baby. It's new. New in, in as, as something that hasn't been there before. And then there's new that John uses here. Kainos. The two words have different meanings, but they're, they're related. Kindness means, kainos means new in kind, new in quality, new in essence. We could say unused. In that sense, the picture that John is trying to give us here isn't of something an earth and heaven that's brand new, but something that is transformed. A bit like our, when, when we read about our resurrection bodies, that we read that they will be similar but different in the sense that who we are now is a shadow of our future selves. So in the sense, this new heaven and the new earth is a transformation of the old one, that it will be like this but oh so much better. And so those are the three things that we just need to keep reminding ourselves or note for the first time as we look at this vision of the new Jerusalem. And we note, don't we, that it's, it's the place of God. And it's characterized by, by things that are no more, isn't it? Do you see how many times the words no more come up in this passage? The first one we come up to is, is, and the sea was no more. And of course, we may be, that just makes us think for a minute because we live on an island. I have found people who live on this island who don't like the sea. But I've met far more people who live on this island and do like the sea. And we kind of think, well, what does that mean? And of course, John's describing like he's used so much more elsewhere, a situation of a metaphorical sea. And what the sea represented in the Bible, he wasn't saying that there wouldn't be a literal sea, but what he was saying was there wouldn't be what the sea represented in the Bible. This place often of conflict against God, this place of chaos and confusion, this place that was hostile to God, this place that was a mystery so much. That's why he then picks up some of the words that he then picks up. And if you, you look and he says, and a loud voice from the throne, he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see the home of God is among his mortals. And he goes through all that list. And of course, all those things there, if you like, they're like this chorus of verses. Guess where they're from? The Old Testament. They're all verses that he's, he's just taking from the, from the Old Testament. But of course, when we think of the sea being no more, we, we think of the idea, of course, of what the, the sea represented being no more. This place of separation. This place of no more 
of the storms of life, being no more. We could say no more tears, as he mentions here. We see this place of separation because the last great mystery in this place, the mystery of death, and the separation that it causes will be no more, and death will be no more. But also we see how this is a place of no more suffering, where pain and grief will be no more. And so it's this, 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 this place where everything that we are so often surrounded by is just removed. But he doesn't finish there, does he, with the no more, because he then starts to describe the other things that are no more. No more sun. No more moon. No more temple, because now what we see is that this place is just full of the glory of God, the light and the beauty that, that, that Jesus brings, the splendor and, and majesty of him. And the sheer power. You know, just, just, just think about this for a moment. You know, go home afterwards and get your rulers out and work out how big this place is. How the length of it, the breadth of it, the height of it. And you see this, this, this wonderful image, don't you, of this place of God. But it isn't just described as a as a place, is it? Because actually, it's a people. It's a, it's, a, it's a group of people. Look in verse 2 and verse 3. It's the, it's the people of God. This city is the, the people of God, the people that we've, we've seen all throughout, both here and elsewhere in this book. It's the bride of Christ. It's His church of thinking about this image of a, of a beautiful bride on, on their wedding day. Full of jewels and beauty. And then we, we read as well with, with the finest clothing referring to the righteous acts in which people have lived. But he doesn't end there, does he? He describes it as the peoples of God. This idea that of the covenant, of God saying right the way throughout the Bible, I will be your God and you will be my people. But now did you see what, what he says this time? He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples. The plural is deliberate. It's capturing that idea that we saw in Act th 3, wasn't it? In chapter 7, where we saw the great multitudes of every tribe and language and nation and it's the conquerors as well from those seven churches we saw in Act 2. And it all sounds absolutely wonderful and great. And you know, we hear this reading at funerals, don't we? And it stops at verse 7. And then we just have to take a pause. Because then we read what comes in verse 8. And we look at that list. And we can count at least one of those things, at least for ourselves. Everyone can. We think, well, what does that mean? 
Because what we have here is this, this idea that in this great vision that we're looking at in chapter 21, evil is no more, which means death is no more, but it also means that judgment has taken place. Between those who've, if you like, seen that list and repented of them, who've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, and those that have not. You see, there's, there's, there's no universalist view out there that can just say that, basically, it doesn't matter. We all go to the same place. You know, John in his vision says, that's not the case. We find that this place is the place of God. It's the people of God but it's the people of God encountering the presence of God. See, if we look at verse 3, he says once more, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. And of course, if we've got, if we've got our Bibles up, we might see a little footnote on the word home there that would say the word tabernacle. And of course, that's what the first hearers are hearing. They're seeing these words that, 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 that John is describing, and then they're going back to the Exodus story where Moses built the tabernacle. And when he went into the tabernacle, the presence of God came down and they saw it. And then when they built the, the permanent tabernacle, if you like, the temple once more, and the glory of God came down, that's what they're thinking about. They're thinking about this idea, the Hebrew word is Shekinah. It was the cloud, the presence of God. The Greek word is, is skeno in terms of home. And dwell, it's the same idea. This is the idea that they're thinking about. And of course, the gospel writer, John, what did he do? In that very famous passage at the beginning of John's gospel, he just took that word, didn't he? Dwell. Of how the word became flesh and came and dwelt amongst us. And he used that word tabernacle again. He said, in other words, and God came and pitched his tent there. And then he said, and we have seen his glory. And John would go on, wouldn't he? And he would talk about how each one of us could know the presence of God in us. Through Jesus coming and making a home in our lives. And when Moses went into the tabernacle, his face just glowed, didn't it? His face just glowed with the, with the presence and of, of, of God. So much so that they asked him to put the veil on, didn't they? Because he just glowed with the presence of God. But of course, what happened over time is the presence wore off, didn't it? Just like when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in our hearts, we're people of the presence, aren't we? But then, sometimes it blows off. But this time, in this image, what we see, it's just a glorious image, isn't it? A glorious image where the glory never, ever stops. It never, ever stops. Why? Because if we read in verse, ahead into verse 25 of chapter 21, the gates of the city 
are always open. The presence of God, the light of Christ is always there. Always there to, to experience. It's this great image that when Moses experienced the glory of God in his face shone, he only saw God from the back because he couldn't see God face to face because that would have killed him. But in this image we see as we roll into chapter 22 that we see God face to face. And so this idea is always there of always encountering the presence of God. Because the curtains always open. But for us as we, as we finish for today and if you like as we, as we close the curtain what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us today? If you like, citizens of heaven, but living on earth. What does it mean for us? Well, here are three thoughts that, that came to me from the text. Firstly, that we should keep our eyes focused on God and Jesus the King. You know, sometimes when you pray, you'll... You know, or other people hear you pray. How you describe God at the beginning, often we have favorite phrases, don't we? Like I've noticed that over these past six months, I've started to say gracious God a lot. Or some people say Father God. Some people say Heavenly Father, don't they? And things like that. And John in this book is exactly like that. He has favorite phrases for God. If you like, they're, they're in important phrases to God and we see two of the four that we've seen before in this passage don't we that God is the one who's on his throne the one who was seated on the throne said that was his where's God he's on his throne and then what would he say as well he would say I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end in other words, God is everlasting. God is on his throne, he's sovereign, but God is also everlasting. He's seen the end from the beginning. He was there at the beginning, he is now, and he will be there at the end. And what we see in this book that's said of God is also said of Jesus, the king. Jesus is the one who sits on the throne, the lamb who was slain. Jesus goes on in verse chapter 22 to describe himself as the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Focus and keep our eyes on God. And then secondly, live as people of hope. Because one day we'll be there. Live as people of hope. For these words we read in verse 5 are trustworthy and true. Live as those people of hope. Because the only hope I have that this life isn't all that it is, and the only hope that I have that John wasn't on one long continuous rave in this vision is because Jesus died and rose again. Be people who keep our eyes focused on God and Jesus. Secondly, live as those people of hope. And then thirdly, 
Always think about the future, but live in the present. You see, when we think about it, so much of Christianity, isn't it? It's the now and the not yet, isn't it? Where we're people of the resurrection that we can experience a foretaste now. God's kingdom has come, but is to come. You know, we're people of the now and the not yet. We're citizens of heaven, yet live on earth. We're God's kingdom priests. The kingdom is here, but is to come. If you like, be those ready-break people. Be the ready-break people who glow in the dark night of this world. Keep our eyes focused on God and Jesus. Live as people of hope and be people of the future, living in the present. Shall we pray? Holy Spirit, would you draw us on and move us on towards you? That we'd always keep our eyes focused upon you. That we'd live as those people of hope. And that we'd be people of the future world whilst living in the here and now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.